I love you all so much, and it's so good to see you this morning. This is, um, last night I was like, oh my gosh, it was so much fun, and I pray that it'll be as much fun today. Never know from one service to the other, but this place in the Word of God is absolutely, utterly incredible. The insight on Paul, the, um, the courage of this man, and the conviction of this man to tell people the truth, regardless what they might think of him, and regardless what they might do to him, is incredible. Utterly incredible. And you'll see it this week in this message. This message is so important. Would you turn with me to to Acts chapter 17? Starting in verse 22 to verse 31 is the message that Paul gives these dear people in Athens. Now... You know the story. You know that um, he walked into Athens and he, he realized right away that this place was, um, was filled with all kinds of religious beliefs. There were all kinds of statues, all kinds of, of altars all over the city that reflected that they had a belief in many different Gods, small g, G-O-D-S, gods. And so as he walked through this community, he looked around and he said, Wow, these people are lost. They're lost. So he he spoke to the people and here he goes into the Areopagus. This is a, a place that's on the hill that is a, it was a common place. They would bring anyone that had something new to offer to speak to them in this particular place. Because, as we learned in verse 21, I believe it was, they, they had a lot of, a lot of time which, which they only gathered together with themselves and with strangers that would come to town to discuss things that were new. And so Paul stands before these people and he says three different things. Basically, in verses 22 and 23, he says to them, I've gone through your community and I've looked around and lo and behold, I, I find that you are a people who are devoted to religious things. You're devoted to religion. Now what is important, or very religious he called them, what is important about that is in the Greek he is saying to them in that statement by using two different words, he says you revere evil spirits. You revere evil spirits. Now this took a lot of courage. No wonder Paul always got thrown in prison. Uh, nobody likes anybody to tell them that they're, they're worshiping uh, the wrong religion. I mean, you cannot talk about, I hear, religion and taxes. You just, you, just, you know, or no, religious and, religion and uh, what? Uh, politics. Uh, politics, that's it. Oh, yes. <laughs> you just, you know, you're going to get, you're going to rub some person wrong when you start doing that. And Paul rubbed them the wrong way immediately by saying that. But it was a gentle rebuke, but it was a rebuke nonetheless. And what he was saying was this. Your religion, as much as you love it, 
And as much as you respect and follow it, if it is incorrect, will not save you. So he lets them know three things, basically. Number one, in verses 22 and 23, that God, the true God, because they wrote in there, he said in there, you have a God that is unknown, an altar to an unknown God. He says, this God which you do not know, I proclaim to you. And so he allows them to know in verses 22 and 23 that the God that they don't know of exists and he is the one true God. In verses 24 through 29, he allows them to know who this God is. Basically, in verse 24, he says he is the creator of all things, namely, you and me. And then, genius, utter genius. Remember, we have proclaimed to you all along that the apostles were given orders on what to preach. And they were given a message to give to the people. And over and over again, from Peter to Philip to Andrew to um, all of them, Stephen, the message was always repent and the resurrection. The reason the resurrection is because if they're going to repent, they've got to turn to someone And so the last thing that Paul says to them is, God exists, verse 22-23. Here's who he is, verse 24-29, to and he has said something to you. Verses 30-31. He has declared that all men everywhere are to repent. And then he tells them why they ought to repent. He says in verse 31, because God has fixed a time where he is going to judge this world and everyone in it. And then Paul presents to them Jesus Christ. Now, this message that Paul gave isn't a message like he would give if he was in a synagogue. This isn't a message that he would give to people who understood the the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who who had a grasp on who is this one real true God who has promised them the coming Messiah. No, this message isn't anything like that. He's not in a synagogue. He's in the town square, the Areopagus. And he is preaching to all people who have a limited knowledge of a true God. They have a lot of knowledge about God's plural, but not the true God. And so he says, the proof of this man, this man, that God has called to judge us, is that God, verse 31, has what? Raised him from the dead. (laughs) What a message. What a message. In the weeks to come, Verses um, 32 to, what is the last verse in this, this 34? There are three, I want, you to, I want you to try to exercise, when, you, when I ask you to read through that, I want you to find these things. What I just found isn't all that much. I mean, you can find it. You can see the outline that Paul gives. And, and you could make an outline too, and maybe better than the one I just gave. But basically, that's it. God exists, 
Who is he? And he said something to you. After that, it says in verses 32 to 34, some of the people sneered at him. Some of them said, come back again, tell us more. And others, what? Believe. That's always the response, by the way. For every message that you will ever give to anyone who will ever speak, they're going to say, you are a fool. You believe in God. Oh boy, you ought to go into the foolish house or whatever they call it. You're crazy. And you believe the Bible? You're crazier. And they sneer at us. There's people out there that think you and I are awfully foolish this morning, getting up already showered, if, for those of us that did. I did. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, all dressed up as, as good as we could do without our wives being with us. It, um, and, and they say, you're fools. We're fools for coming here. Spe- spending this time talking about God. There are others who, when they hear the message, will say, you know, I need, inf- I need more information. And what I'm going to say to you today is you have every... You have all the information you're ever going to need right now. I'm going to prove that to you. At least I'm going to try to prove it to you by the Word of God. And then there will always be that remnant of people that say, I need this God. I need Him. And they believe. So that is, in essence, the message. Um, But I want to break it down a little bit for us this morning, if I may. And and speak of, um, of how Paul broke this down and, and, and basically how Scripture proves the existence of God. Now, we gather together for a purpose. We gather together to equip one another. For those of you here, and I would say for the most part, most of us here, have already trusted and believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Some of you know the exact time and moment you did, like I do. And some of you are not sure, but you know you've asked him into your heart to forgive you of your sin. That's most of us. Some of us here this morning are still investigating, still looking into this whole idea of Christianity. And, uh, you know, you've, you've been brought here by a friend or a loved one, and, um, and, you've, and you've come, and you're, you're investigating. Some... Um, I got, the, I got the neatest email this week. It was just unbelievably wonderful. It was such a, a nice, nicely written email. Um, and basically the gentleman who now is an integral part of our church said that some years ago his daughter begged him to come to church. He was raised in another denomination, whatever, and... Um, said, no, 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 didn't want to go to church. And she begged him. She said, basically, God bless you, David. She said, basically, you're going to like this guy. He's okay. It was kind of cool, you know, that she she entrusted her dad, probably the most precious gift she has on this earth, to to us as a church. So he came. And as he listened... He came back then the next time on his own, and the next time on his own, and and he became a Christian, accepted Christ into his heart. And then he led other people in his family to Christ. And now he is serving the Lord. That's what we want for all of you. 
that's why we gather together. Some of the things I'm going to say this morning, most of us know. But we need to be reminded. We need to equip each other so that when we become grounded in these things, we can pass them along to other people so that by the grace of God, we would have the privilege of leading other people to Christ. And so that is what we're going to do in this message that Paul has given. Most of us understand it pretty good. But I want to kind of dig in a little bit and give you... um, not ammunition, but that's the only word that came to my mind. Give you some things to hold on to, to, to be able to tell and share with others if need be. Or maybe just to encourage your own self and your faith. And I wanted to read with you, please, this wonderful message. And we're just going to cover a portion of uh, Paul's uh, speaking to these people. Um, verse 22 to verse 31. It said, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of this earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their inhabitation that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are His offsprings. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, Paul says, verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Repentance, resurrection. Repentance, because there will come a judgment. A judgment by the one whom God has given proof to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's message is incredible. Pray with me, please, that we might do justice to what the Lord God would want us to know about the facts that He is and He exists. Dear Father, would You please, by the grace of of Yourself, would You open up our eyes, would You open up our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold wonderful things from Your law. 
your most precious word. Father, the message that you gave to the heart of Paul, that he gave to those in Athens. May we, Father, study to understand ourselves better in this society in which we live today. The very essence of your existence, the very essence that you are who you say you are. So, Father, please teach us. For that, dear Father, I would ask this favor, that you would move me aside. Somehow, some way, Father, allow me to speak the truth that you have given. And that I would not say one thing, Father, that would contradict what you would believe or you would want us to know. Take that word, take those thoughts from me, please. Let us hear, if possible, dear Father, from you through the Holy Spirit that indwells each of us. So, Father, thank you for this time that we've had. Thank you for the giving that you have already given to uh, our children, or excuse me, our students' ministry. And that, Father, we can foresee that being built out so that they would have a place to, to play and to study and to enjoy the one another, to have relationships with their common peers and, and grow in the love and the grace of Christ like we do here in this room. Father, would you please allow us to build that place out? Would you take the monies that we receive, keep us very frugal, Father, spending them cautiously and with great care. And Father, may you add to it. Allow us, Father, to do what you see best. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The brilliance of Paul's message is that he wanted the people to know this God whom they say is unknown to them. He wants them to know, in verse 23, what they have worshipped in ignorance, this unknown God. Paul says, I, I want to proclaim him to you. Now, an altar to the unknown God could mean a couple of things. Maybe those people in, in Athens were open-minded. Um, let's face it, this was a, a cultural uh, center. It was a center of, of philosophy. It was a center of higher knowledge and education. And people came far and wide to Athens. And there were many, many gods. And Maybe they were open-minded. They didn't want someone to come into the community in which they lived, and, and they didn't want them to come in there and say, you guys worship all kinds of gods. What about our God? I mean, are you that closed-minded? You don't, oh, no, no, we know, and we love your God as well. We just didn't know what you called him. And so we put an altar up to him, your unknown God. Please tell us about him. And as it says in verse 21, Look, look across the page. Look at verse 21. They loved to talk about new things. The Athenians the, the, and the strangers visiting there used to spend time in, in nothing other than telling or hearing of something new. So they, they enjoyed this. Or, or it could have meant that there, they believed was truly a God that they didn't know. I think of, when I think about something like this, um, this to this unknown God, I think of something that I heard quite a few years ago. And it, all, it just stuck to my mind. It, um, do you remember the, the wonderful entertainer by the name of Sammy Davis Jr.? Perhaps you do. Most people should. Of any kind of age, he was 
brilliant. And he um, accepted the Jewish faith. I don't know if you know that or not, but he, he became a Jew. And in the paper, or in wherever it was, maybe on television, I heard him say, I became a Jew to cover all the bases. So that in case this God is Jewish, he'll, he'll love me. Well, that's what these people kind of are doing. They're trying to cover all of the bases. And so Paul says, this unknown God not only exists, but he is the very God who has made this world that that you and I live in, and he's made you and me, Paul said. Look at verse 24. The God who has made the world and all things in it, namely them, us. And then more importantly, Paul wanted them to know that this unknown God that they had an altar to spoke to them. And as I've already said to you in verse 30 and 31, this is what he wanted them, God wanted them to know. That he is declaring, verse 30, in the last part of verse 30, declaring to all people everywhere that they should what? Repent. Turn from your sins. The reason they ought to repent is because this God, whom they don't know, but now Paul is declaring to them, is going to judge them. He's fixed a day. Look at verse 31. He has fixed a day in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness. Through, now he lets them know who, through a man we know, that's Jesus Christ, He has not declared him to them yet. Through this man whom God has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, namely who he is, by raising him from the dead. Repentance, resurrection. Paul began by conceding to them that they were devoted to their religion. Look at verse 22 again. I observed, as I've walked through your community, I observed that you are very religious in all respects, but the term translated very religious, Paul combined two Greek words, and this is why I love Paul. He will not compromise his walk with Christ. He will not allow them, the people that he is speaking to, to be comfortable in what they believe and be kind of make nice with them so that they won't dislike him. On the contrary, he uses two words in saying they're very religious. The one word is D-E-I-D-O, meaning I understand that you fear or that you revere this God whom you worship. But he also then uses the word D-A-I-M-O-N in the Greek, meaning an evil spirit. And so Paul is saying this God whom you say you revere, whom you love, is nothing more or less than an evil spirit. Whoa! I could, I could only imagine what the, the atmosphere must have been in that audience when they heard that. Paul ingenuously rebuked them concerning the realities behind religion that they revered an evil spirit. You see, Paul teaches that simply being religious is not enough. 
Jesus Christ said the same thing to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were rebuking him. He said in John chapter 8, verse 44, you, he says, are of your father, who? The devil. I don't think they like that either. Dr. McGee says it this way concerning religion. You are either a saint. <laughs> I love that you answer that. I like that so much. That blesses me. That's one of the things I really like. I, I was hoping you'd do that. You're either a saint or you ain't. You see, there is no middle ground to all of this thing called religion or Christianity or <clears throat> whatever, spiritualism, whatever you want to call it. God has divided the camp into two very distinct groups. And you either follow God through His way, and He has given us proof in how we are to follow Him by raising this person from the dead so that you and I would know who He is. And you're either in that camp or you're not. You're either a saint or you ain't. You're either a believer or you're following after, as Paul so boldly said, revering evil spirits. You see, Paul knew this about these people. Number one, he knew that he loved them. He didn't know them, but he loved them. And he loved them so much that he was willing to get thrown into jail, if that's what they're going to do for him, because of what he said. But he wanted them to at least... Hear the truth, so that then they would have to deal with the truth. And Paul knew that faith in the correct God was their only hope. Folks, that's the truth. Faith can only come when you and I believe, first and foremost, that there is a God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and you really, you can copy these down, I would but you don't have to turn to all of these. I know it looks like we've got a long way to go, but some of these will go quickly. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this. Without faith, it is what? It's impossible for you and me to please God. Because those of us who come to God must believe that He is. That's the starting point. The starting point for Paul with these people in Athens is that there is a God, this God who you say you don't know, He exists. And every other God is an evil spirit, regardless of how, how sincere you might be in worshiping Him. Every other God falls short. And then it goes on to say in the end of Hebrews eleven six that God will reward those of us who seek after Him. Now let me share with you what perhaps you already know. The Bible itself does not offer any formal argument for God's existence. No. The Bible, you look, it doesn't explain how He came. It uh, doesn't explain uh, what, what He's all about. It, begins in Genesis 1-1, what? In the beginning, God. That's it. That's our introduction to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Deal with it. That's God. Now, now God, in His grace to us as people, does not allow this 
existence of his to go un, unknown. His existence ultimately is a matter of two things that he has revealed to everybody on the face of this earth. I said to you earlier, you and I are without excuse. There is nobody that has an excuse that says, well, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know. If, I just didn't know. No, I'm going to prove to you by the word of God that you and I know. Know enough to deal with this God. Now in John chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus says, Nobody has seen God at any time. Now that, that's, that's where we, we learn that there's really no formal argument. You, you and I cannot have a, a, a mathematical uh, solution to God. We can't put him on a litmus test. Nobody has seen God at any time. Jesus Christ in John, I might want, you might want to turn there, in John chapter 20, verse 29. I'm going to paraphrase this story because you know it well. It is the time when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They came back and they said, we've seen him, we've seen him, he's alive. Um, they said, no, you're foolish. No, then a few days later, when Jesus Christ, this about in the 21st or 2nd or 3rd verse of John chapter 20, they were in the upper room and it was locked, it said, shut and he appeared in the middle of the room in the midst of them. And he said, look, look at my hands and my feet. He says, I am he. I'm alive. Oh man, did they get excited. They got so excited, they just beside themselves. A few verses later, Thomas, who wasn't there when the Lord came the first time, they said, Thomas, Thomas, you won't believe. We've seen him. We've seen the Lord. We have seen him with our own eyes. And Thomas said, you know what he said. Thomas said, listen, that's okay with you, but I don't believe. I don't believe. I'm going to have to have this. I want him to come and present himself to me. I want to see his hands. I want to see his side. I want to see him too. And sometime later, as we come to this verse... In the book of John, the 20th chapter, Jesus Christ comes and he stands before Thomas and he says, Thomas, look. Look at my hands. Look at my side. To which Thomas fell down before the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus did not rebuke him for saying those things, calling him God Almighty. And Jesus said, Thomas, verse 29, paraphrasing it. I don't know it by heart, but I know it. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me and you have believed, and then Jesus Christ mentions you and me in the Bible, those of us who have trusted in him, and he calls You and me, blessed. Our Lord says we're blessed. He says, blessed are those who have never seen me and yet believe. That's us. That's the privilege that we have. Blessed are those who have never seen me and yet believe. This faith, however, that you and I have, although we have never seen God, 
is not a blind leap of faith into the dark. It is founded upon facts that the scriptures teach us. God's true existence, granted, is not provable by a scientific experiment or some mathematical equation, but God's existence is rational and logical in our cause and effect world in which we live. This cause and effect, the Bible The Bible reveals, I guess is the best way of saying this, this powerful and convincing evidence for God's existence. For instance, it comes through the gift of faith. Every single one of us here in this room has faith. Faith of one kind or faith of another. And some of you have a a large amount of faith and some of us here in this room have just a little bit. But there is enough faith in you to be able to comprehend and believe. And through this faith that you have, God allows you and me to see Him two ways, externally and internally, so that we would be without excuse. Look at Psalms 19.1, please. Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. King David wrote these words long ago. King David says in Psalms, Psalms is in the middle of the Old Testament, you know, it's about 150 chapters, so you should be able to find it, kind of flip to the middle, and then the 19th chapter. First verse. David says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse, in other words, their vastness, the, the, the enormity, the enormity of the heavens are declaring the work of of his hands. David says that all that is around us externally, all that we can see, the vastness of the heavens, they tell us, they declare to us that God is there. Externally, we can see him through his glory and through his work. By faith, you and I can see God all around us externally. We just look. But Paul also taught, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 1, as we witnessed last week, that God also allows us not only to see Him externally, but to know Him internally as well. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Because... That which is known about God is evident. Where? Evident where? Within them. In other words, within us. Because, it says, God made it evident to them, us. Here's how. Verse 20, since the creation of this world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power... His divine nature have been, what? Clearly seen, being understood through what He has made. In other words, the heavens and their expanse, the vastness of this earth on which we live. So that they, so that they, meaning those who do not believe, having the witness inside of them, are 
without... They have no excuse. God has revealed Himself himself from heaven, both externally, by what we see, the order of all things, and what we know. Jesus Christ, as I've said to you before, said something to His disciples that I think is the saddest words in, in, in all of Scripture. Is He says three words, leave them alone. People were not following Christ and he had been explaining himself to them over and over again and they kept rejecting him and they kept going and turning away from him. And the disciples said, what about them? And he said, leave them alone. They're the blind leading the blind. They knew better. They walked away from the glory of God. They walked away from what they knew within them. The Bible tells you a little bit about why people reject God. Basically, it's because they enjoy their sin, their own pride, more than they do to humbly fall down before God, whom they know is real. And so I say to you that you are without an excuse. There are no people in some far-off place that have never heard of God. God has made Himself evident to them. They know better. Therefore, we are all without excuse because faith allows every single one of us to see God both externally and internally. The Bible also acknowledges this, this um, principle that we call cause and effect. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews acknowledges this principle of cause and effect. It says, Every house is built by someone. But, Hebrews 3.4 says, the builder of all things is who? God. He's built it all. Therefore, it ought to go without saying that every house that is built, that is built requires a well-organized cause. In other words, a plan. It would be absurd for anyone to want to build a house to throw a, a bunch of building materials in the path of a hurricane and expect this hurricane to blow through and assemble the house with all the piping, electricity, uh, all the intricacies of a home in order once it blew through. That's the absurdity that some people say that this complex universe in which you and I live, the complexity of, of what we are as a, as a human being, the blinking of an eye, the taking in of breath, the beating of a heart, the intelligence, some of you have, that you possess, to imagine that it had no planned cause. There had to be a cause and effect. And as Hebrews 3, 4 says, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. You see, God had a plan. And a plan requires a planner. A design requires a designer. And this, in essence, folks, is the theological argument for God's existence. 
the order and the complexity of this universe in which we live could not have arisen by random chance. Couldn't. I know people want to say that it happened by some, what, explosion? Um, I don't know. What? The Big Bang. Uh, that, 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 that all of a sudden, boom, this place exploded, this universe, and there all of a sudden this ball falls off, and it comes spinning around, and in this ball, someone somehow decided to call it Earth somewhere down the road, and, and in off of this Earth, out of this water that's there, comes this thing that comes wiggling out, and, and all of a sudden in time it grows legs, you know, and, and then it stands up, and come on, please, come on, please. The Bible says those people that say that are fools. Psalms 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I want you to look at, at Psalms 94.9 and see what the psalmist says about who has made all things. There's more to Psalms 94 that you can read if you want, but I just wanted to look at this one verse. It says in Psalms 94, verse 9, He who planted the ear, the psalmist asks, does he not hear? He who formed an eye, the psalmist asks, does he not see? In other words, intelligence comes from an intelligent being. Moral judgment comes from a moral being. The ability to see comes from one who can see. The ability to hear comes from one who can hear. And to argue that you and I come from anything else, from some ooze that came out of something, somewhere, sometime, is the height of folly. As I've already said, Psalms 14.1 says, God says that person who says there is no God who created all this, is a fool. God calls you and me blessed, and He calls those who reject Him fools. He's got names for us. You have enough evidence within you to trust and to believe in this great God. As Pastor Fred taught some weeks ago in Third Friday about the enormity of this universe in which we live, and the greatness of our God and how He cares for us. It's, it's monumental how much He loves and cares for you and me. And so Paul, in his wisdom, allows those people to know this God whom you say you do not know, He exists. And next week we're going to find out whom Paul says He is and what He has said to us. Therefore, how we are to live our lives. Think about it when you think about it. Paul, again, risked his life by telling those people the truth. He couldn't say it any other way. He couldn't. He knew it might get him thrown in jail. He knew it might get him killed. But he loved them so much that he told them this religion that you're following, whatever you call it, you're worshiping an evil spirit. There is but one way. And you know, I believe you know, 
That rubbed those people very wrong against Paul. But Paul didn't care. Just like you and I need to be a people who are bold in what we believe and are fearless in our proclamation of this God whom we love. Now, I'm not asking you to go out today you know, and preach on a street corner unless that's something that God asks you to do. If, for instance, you're quiet in your testimony, stay that way. God's got some people that need someone very quiet to minister to them. If you're bold and brash, stay that way. God needs some people who are bold and brash to witness to them. And God will bring the right person to you so that you can minister to them. And then as we'll see next week, there will be three responses to your message. Some will sneer at you, think you're a fool. Others will say, I need to hear more. Tell me more. You and I need to be equipped, ready to tell them more. And others will believe. In each case, none of it is your fault, nor to your credit. I remember once I sat with a guy that uh, was well, well respected. We were having some sort of a disagreement, not just him and me, just a group of people. And he got a little feisty and he said, you know, I must have led hundreds if not thousands of people to Christ and I was on the other end of a stick all alone having this discussion with these these dear men and I said you haven't led one person to Christ your whole life oh he didn't like that and I said God allowed you and he realized then and there he was wrong and he says oh you're right but he used me and I said oh yeah he used a donkey. He'll use any of us. <laughs> I wasn't well liked at that place. <laughs> they eventually asked me to leave. <laughs> Very interesting. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for the, the wonderful truth that Paul presents to us. The very joy, Father, of knowing that you exist. And that you've not left us alone in that thought. You've given us enough proof. You've given us the evidence we need. All we need to do is look. Look at the order in which we live in this universe. That the sun comes up every day and goes down every evening. And we look up into the heavens and we see the stars and we see the moon and we see all the order to think that that was not placed there by a creator would be foolhardy of us. You've given us the external evidence to see you. And then your love for us is so deep that you've given us the internal knowledge that you are who you say you are and we're without excuse because what is evident about you is evident within us. We know. We have enough proof. All we need to do is make our step of faith and trust in you. For most of us here, probably not for salvation, but to trust in you to be used, to use us, to allow us to be used by you so that we can bless you, Father, with the remaining days that we have on this earth. Thank you, Father, so much for this morning. These dear people whom I love more 
and they'll ever know more than they'll ever know. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you folks so much. Have a great, great day. Um, next week you won't want to miss. It gets even better. Paul is something else. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>